Megan and I are so excited to share this behind-the-scenes peek into the making of our Women Who Travel Power List. But there's so much more waiting for you in the full article. From film directors to war journalists to wildlife ecologists, these women are reshaping the travel landscape and leaving a lasting impact on the world. Keep listening to hear more about why Megan and myself chose to highlight these 15 fascinating women. And head over to cntraveler.com today to explore the complete list and be inspired by their incredible journeys. And for a limited time, our listeners can unlock everything Traveller has to offer for just $5. Simply use code POD5, that's P-O-D-5, at checkout to access exclusive travel insights, breathtaking destinations, and invaluable tips to fuel your adventurous spirit. All for just $5. And remember, every adventure starts with just one step. Join us in celebrating the power of women in travel. Visit cntraveler.com today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. A lot of people spend a lot of money on things like skincare, fast fashion, and even surgery, all in the name of self-improvement. But as the price of perfection rises, when is it time to call it quits? I'm Rima Hreis, host of This Is Uncomfortable, a podcast from Marketplace. This season, we dig deep into the financial trappings of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Women Who Travel, a podcast from Conde Nast Traveler. I'm Meredith Carey, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Lale Erkoglu. Hello. We started off this pandemic with a books episode to help transport us while we stayed home. And here we are, 99 days later, still at home and running out of books to read to help take us to other worlds, real or fictional. So we brought back two of our very favorite guests to help us stock up on more incredible books. Today, we're joined by Jen Dilling-Martin, associate publisher at Riverhead Books. Thanks for coming back, Jen. So happy to be back. <laughs> and Lisa Lucas, executive director of the National Books Foundation and soon to be publisher of Pantheon and Shokin Books. Thanks, Lisa. Nice to be back. And before we get started, I know that we need to talk about like new books that we haven't talked about before on this podcast, but I read The Yellow House by Sarah M. Brown, which Lisa had chastised me for not having read it's before so because good. I love New Orleans. And it was hands down one of the best books that I've ever read, and I would highly recommend it to everyone. Just read it. It's yes, Meredith, amazing. Yes, it's so good. Um, yes. But now we can get to it's other so books good. that we haven't already talked about. <laughs> um, Jin, do you want to kick us off with a book that you've really loved reading? Oh, sure. I would be honored to. Um, I want to just warn everyone that maybe like other people on this planet, I actually found the past couple months to be very stressful. And <laughs> maybe because I'm such a big traveler in real life, I didn't feel like or was not in the mood for reading books set in faraway lands because it actually felt like it would be so demoralizing and so lonely and so sad to think and fantasize about the places that I could not access right now. So 
This is all to say what I've been obsessively reading has been any kind of fiction that is very interior and neurotic and like about people just like stuck in their own homes grappling with the existential questions of life because hashtag mood, that is <laughs> how I've been feeling for 99 days. Um, so the first book I absolutely want to recommend, but granted only if you are also in this kind of neurotic mood, is Jenny Offel's book, Weather. This came out actually like right before the pandemic and yet so prescient. I mean, it, she may as well have written it for the pandemic moment. And it's this narrator, Lizzie, and Lizzie is this bitingly funny, sharp, neurotic woman who is circling around all the heavy questions of being alive as a human on our planet, like climate change and being a responsible human and life and death and a relationship to nature. And I think it, for anyone who loves books that are about nature or are about a human relationship to the natural world, even though this is very much in her head, it still is touching those things in such a fun and interesting way. And so I, I cut this little quote because this to me is like capsulates the whole book. This is the narrator just thinking about things. And she's like, when electricity was first introduced to homes in 1903, there were letters to newspapers about how it would undermine family togetherness. <laughs> A famous psychologist worried that young people would lose their connection to dusk and its contemplative moments. Ha, ha, ha. That's actually in the book. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Except when was the last time I stood still because it was dusk? Ooh. Yeah. Beautiful. So, <laughs> Lolly did a literal shiver. <laughs> <laughs> On the Zooms, she did a little like shoulder shiver. So, I loved this narrator. I loved her voice. She's like asking the questions that I sit and think about, except much more brilliantly and fluidly and with such an amazing sense of humor. So, it was really a pleasure to read. I loved that book. I just yeah. feel like her yeah. writing is so, she writes the small books that are so powerful. It's this like really densely packed matter that's just full of feeling. And it does create that sort of like pandemic-y sort of closed, closed circuit kind of vibe. I just thought it was like, I wish I should reread it because it's short enough to actually give it like a spin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Lisa, how about you? What have you been up to reading wise? So, I mean, my, you know, this whole plague situation definitely has me with like reduced attention span. Um, but comics have been really getting it done for me. Graphic work has really been getting it done for me. And one of the ones that I have been just absolutely loving is Ebony Flowers is Hot Comb, which is drawn in quarterly, um, which actually just today won the Eisner for Best Short Story. Um, but they're beautiful. It's, you know, it's, I think it's just, um, I've been really into sort of things that I haven't seen before, things that feel really different. Because um, I think that even in pandemic, things can get monotonous, you know, and you can still kind of be like, well, even if I have time to read, it's like, that's what I've been reading. And, and I think it's just her illustrations and the sort of like, you know, sisters and mothers and hair care and humor and depth. It just really struck the right nerve. It's just like it's the illustrations are so gorgeous and weird. Um, and I've just really loved it. And short stories have also been getting it done for me, um, which has been helpful. And I think graphic short stories are like winner, winner, chicken dinner. Um, but she's <laughs> just this extraordinary talent um, that I learned about a while ago, but hadn't picked up the actual book. I think I read it for like a prize submission. And I remember just being like, what in the world? 
Where did she come from? Who is this? Why didn't I know about her? She's amazing. And it's been just a real delight to go through all of the stories, um, which are just so smart and warm and super black and just look really, really, really interesting. So that's been like comforting, I think. We're going round Robin, Lolly. Oh, I know. <laughs> it's almost like we're round the podcast studio table. Well, like Lisa, my attention span has been short. On the last time we recorded a books episode, I think I kind of lamented about the fact that I was usually I use reading as a crutch and a source of comfort and was fine, was really struggling. But I have broken through and now I'm like reading nonstop, which is great. Um, and I think one of the books that I've, I really hit the ground with was Homegoing by Yagi Asi, which had been on my list for so long. I don't know why I hadn't read it sooner. And for those who haven't read it and aren't familiar with it, it traces the lineage of half-sisters, one of whom is marries a white colonialist in Ghana and one who is taken to the US as enslaved and it follows their family lines almost up until the present day. And I think one of the reasons why, I mean, other than the fact that it is the writing is so beautiful and so compelling and also i you know i think you can you learn a lot about the way the united states especially has at least i did as an english person really taken form is that it's structured almost in short stories so if you are finding it hard to you know keep your attention going you can just be absorbed in the life of one person for a chapter and then you can put it down and move away and come back to it. And there's another person with a, an incredible story to tell that you can then be completely absorbed in. So I found actually having a book that was structured that way really helpful when it came to kind of breaking my reading rut. And like I said, the writing is just like so beautiful. And her new book I is coming out. Book. Oh, so yeah, good. it was in September. Uh-huh. Yes, hopefully you might hear her voice on this podcast. Hint, hint, wink, wink. Oh, uh, in the coming nice, months, nice. So you should. Everybody should pre-order her book, Transcendent Kingdom. Um, we'll throw a link for that below, and it comes which out, also yeah, has early a September. gorgeous cover. It has a gorgeous, beautiful, cover. beautiful. That's a pretty book. That's a pretty book right there. Mm-hmm. Something that I've read recently that I feel like hits at a little bit of everything that everyone has already said is a book that also came out like. At the moment, the pandemic hit, which is The City We Became by N.K. Jemisin, um, Mm -hmm. which is a science fiction novel about if cities were reborn as people uh, once they reach maturity. And this uh, first book in what I'm sure is going to be a series is about New York being born and each of the different boroughs becoming a human version of themselves and Again, as New York has started to open up and I've been exploring more on my bike and getting out into different neighborhoods beyond my own, it's just completely, despite that it's like so fantastical and like not within logic, given me like so much to look forward to outside my own door um, and really like pushed me to get out into the city. And yeah, it also made me want to like read way more science fiction. And now my like Goodreads is full of Ursula Le Guin and I'm like, I have to... (laughs) I have to go wild. Um, But I really loved it. And it's just like such a love letter to the city in the weirdest way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask you. So have you read other science fiction? I would say no, but I am like a large 
um, fantasy fan and mm-hmm. in my like regular outside of book consumption, um, um, what I would call a nerd. So it like fits well within like the content <laughs> that I consume. I really loved reading science fiction and fantasy books when I was in high school and then yeah. was like, I need to be yeah. like more contemporary and cool. And I think like this has just reignited that interest for me in being a little wilder. Yeah. I'm so happy you said this. I have so many friends who are big fans of hers and I I have never read her, so. Yeah, I haven't either. And I have a copy of that book that I like, it's on my nightstand of shame that I need to read. But it reminds me of like <laughs> cities, cities and fantasy are so fun. I read the, par- the first book that I read when pandemic set in was Parable of the Sower. And it was like this burnt out Pasadena, Southern California landscape. And it was fascinating. And it did make me like, be like, oh yeah, that's where they were talking about in that book. And it was like, it gave me a whole exploration mechanism of the city that like also was feeling kind of burnout at the time that I read it. So it was an interesting, you know, prompt to get out and see a little bit of the world. It's easier here because you got a car, right? So it's like, you don't have to navigate other humans. So even in the beginning, you just get in your car, put on your mask, roll up the windows, you know, don't pee or get gas, you know, and you could kind of explore from your car. Okay, but Lisa, how are you handling dystopian fiction right now? I, I think I would have a nervous breakdown. Oh, no, 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 no. Jen, I read that the first day. I was, I read it, I read it as it was burning. No, no, no. All those books have been burned. I burned them up. I made a fire in the backyard. I was like, it's cold tonight. We're burning all the books because they're traumatizing me. Oh, my God. Burning books, like, but like no. Claire V. Watkins' Gold Fame Citrus, I think I would just go jump off the bridge. Nah, it just would be no. no. People were like, you should read Severance. And I was like, why in the world? world would I do that right now hold on I will say I had put off reading Severance because I was like are there other books that I want to read and Lolly was like read it read it read it and I was like oh I don't know and then in early April maybe I was like is this a good book to read right now and she was like maybe and it actually <laughs> <laughs> it actually was at the time because it was Severance is about a woman who continues to go to work as a pandemic starts and she kind of starts losing track of her coworkers and her friends and all this other stuff is going on that felt very reminiscent. And then it takes a turn again for the like fantastical. And that to me was like, oh, well, it could be worse. Like we could be dealing with this (laughs) plot twist (laughs) that I'm not going to say anything about, but like it could be worse. I'd like to point out that on an episode we recorded last year, Severance was one of my books because I just finished it. And I remember Lisa, you being like, I mean, it's about the end of the world. And then we all laughed (laughs) and thought, well, that'll never happen. (laughs) I will say Severance is great and Goldfame Citrus is so good. Um, so oh, yeah. if you do feel like you're ready mm-hmm. for that, definitely go in that <laughs> direction. <laughs> but like full trigger warning about pandemics and dystopian worlds. Fully co-sign those books, not for me right now. <laughs> right yeah. now. But yeah. I totally co-sign them as valuable books that people yeah. should in fact read and purchase from their local indie <laughs> if they'd like to. But like, if you're built like me emotionally, maybe not today. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast and we have a twist this season. 
The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Wouldn't it be great to earn rewards on everything you crave, from gourmet to homemade? Now you can with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points on dining, takeout, and restaurant delivery, and two times points at grocery stores, grocery delivery, gas stations, EV charging stations, and streaming services. Learn how you can earn 20,000 bonus points, a $200 value, at usbank.com slash Altitude Go when you apply. Live every day your way with the Altitude Go card. Learn more at usbank.com slash Altitude Go. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association, pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. I also actually just, this is a complete side note, but mentioning supporting a local indie bookstore. Now that things are reopening in some semblance in New York and other parts of the country, I wanted to know if anyone has been inside a bookstore yet. Me, me, me. And how it felt. Because oh, I did man. it and it was amazing. I went to Books Are Magic the other day. I was the only one in there, but it was so nice. And just to be able to like touch all the books and read them and figure out like what I wanted based on how I was feeling in the moment versus like sitting on a page and just being like, I don't know, this one doesn't look any different from this one. Like, which one do I choose? Also, I've talked about how I'm like very much a by the label for both wine and books on this podcast before. And it was really nice to hold books and be like, ooh, this one's real pretty. <laughs> Gotta buy it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have either of you, Jin or Lisa? No. I confess that um, I have been able to uh, avoid uh, getting a pedicure. I've been able to avoid the waxer and the eyebrow person. And I've been able to avoid many of the creature comforts that we all miss. I haven't been to a restaurant, haven't been to, but I definitely went up in that bookstore. That was the one thing I did. I was like, you know, it was like at a certain point, it was like, Lisa, what are you willing to die for? And it turned out it's bookstores. (laughs) (laughs) You know, nothing else. I'm not, you know, I'm not doing anything else. The grocery store and the bookstore, that's it. But yes, I've gone into um, two bookstores. I went into Skylight and I went into a very tiny um, graphic novel bookstore, a comic bookstore called Secret Headquarters, which felt very safe because there's just like, ah, dude. And no one else in there. So it was just sort of like, this is fine. Like, it's like, you know, you cool, man? Okay, then we cool. Just once. And it was totally worth it on every single level. And it, like, made me feel like a human being again in a way that, like, almost nothing else has. And it was really, like, actually, like, I was by myself. It was, like, a very moving experience. Like, I really missed bookstores. Like, I actually am not okay without bookstores. It's been, for my whole life... You know, just the place that I go, if I'm sad or freaked out, like those books are my friends now. Many of those people are my friends. Like the colophon actually means like, oh, these are the people who made it. And it's just like there's on so many levels, the stories, the covers, the people who made them, the authors who are friends. Like it just feels like and then the ideas, right? Like you're thinking about programming events and you're thinking about, you know, work. And it's just like it was like not having a computer in some ways, not having a bookstore. It just felt really disruptive than not having a bookstore. And it's like, of course, I've been like locally or, you know, ordering books from all over and you can't go in the bookstore every day, especially not in plague infested California. But um, it really gave me something that I think was worth it. You know, I mean, I was safe 
the bookstore is doing a great job. Um, it was definitely a risk. And I don't necessarily need everybody to run out and go to the bookstore and be like, she is co-signing, going out and doing stuff. But it just, it gave me a real like comfort and stability that I truly until the day that I did that had not had. I forgot like what to do. I like biked over my fanny <laughs> fanny pack and then I had three books and was like, how do I get back on my bike with these books? Oh. I don't even know. Oh, no. But yeah, it really is like, you know, chicken soup for the soul. The one bookstore I went into since things have reopened in New York, it was like the most sort of community, like local village atmosphere I had like felt since I'd sort of started moving around the city a little bit more, where it was like every single, I mean, I say every single person, it was like me and like the two other people that were allowed in. But like everyone who like went and bought a book then was like, I'm so glad you're open. I've been buying online. Like, I'm so thankful that you guys are okay. Like, and it was just, it was very nice. It was very, very nice. Is there anything that you've ordered recently, Jen, that you want to share? Oh, man. I just want to echo the Lale's comment that that I missed. I But our bookstore here isn't open yet. I can't believe all of you have open bookstores. But that <laughs> the emotion, like I need the store to tell me what kind of mood I even think I'm in, if that makes sense. And it uh-huh. is, I, I do draw a blank when I'm looking at them on the screen and it doesn't really feel the same. I don't know. The only other novel that really hit me uh, during pandemic. I did not order from a bookstore because it's a a book that we're publishing this fall, uh, but it's in the same vein as weather. So for anyone who's already like, I loved weather, but I still need something else. (laughs) uh, The new Sigrid Nunez book is coming in September. She won the National Book Award two years ago for The Friend, and her new one is... I think even better than The Friend. So if you love The oh. Friend, great news. This is even better. <laughs> um, but same same mood as weather. Like it's a neurotic woman <laughs> in her own head spinning over issues of, in this case, life and aging and friendship over time. And the novel kicks off with her friend basically asking the narrator to come help her commit assisted suicide in an Airbnb. But because it's Sigrid, it's hysterically funny yeah, and so funny. all kinds of hijinks unfold with the, you know, the, the, the assisted suicide attempt goes like drastically awry with Airbnb consequences. And like, it's so funny. She's so funny. So she's hilarious. Um, yeah. Speaking of women yeah. who travel, I once had the great pleasure of traveling back from North Dakota to New York City with Sigrid. Um, And it took us about 12 hours, and I laughed the whole (laughs) time. I mean, she just has jokes. I mean, she just has jokes on jokes on jokes. I mean, she's just a hilarious and super smart and, like, just absolutely says what she means to on top of it, which she does in her fiction, too, which is, like, I think it's just, like, one of those things where it's like, whoop, she said it. That's how her (laughs) fiction reads to me. It's like, she said that shit out loud, you know? Did you have any um, Airbnb escapades when you were on your road I hope not like what happens in the novel. It was, it was, yeah, no, it was, it was definitely not as dark as her novels. You know, she, she, she seems like a lighter person than some of the fiction. Yeah. That plot description did not go in the direction. If you're looking for something during quarantine, let me tell you, it's about assisted suicide in an Airbnb girl. You gonna turn the pages all night long. (laughs) 
Suicide romp we have all been waiting for. <laughs> oh oh my god. Amazing. No, but the narrator is like, oh my god, do I really have to do this? Like, oh shit, is she really gonna yeah. ask this of me? Oh god. You know, and it's like it's that Sigrid voice that's in actually inflects all of her books. And you know, it's it's she's funny. She's kind of like almost like a Larry David, but a like the the female more intellectual more more textured and nuanced but it has that humor yeah she reminds us that like you know when my father passed away like you know the saddest thing that ever happened like you know you, all tears no good one and back but like the hospital can be a funny place <laughs> right like it's like so yeah. the reality of tragedy is that you can't help but find your it's so ridiculous you know the level of your grief the like you know we had this like cartoony chaplain who came in and he was like my name is donald not like trump like duck and then knocked over the ivs like you know this is like a person who's like literally like on the way out right and it's just like and this man is in here telling jokes and knocking stuff over and i was like you gotta be kidding we got the mickey mouse chaplain up in here you have to leave sir which is actually hilarious right like i mean it was like you know if you wrote that in a novel it'd be a funny scene and she gets that about life sigrid really understands that no matter how horrible it is you know, it's ridiculous to be alive. You know, it's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. And it's funny. And it's like, and yet, we must do it. So it's like, I love that about her. She really does, actually. All jokes aside about the suicide in the Airbnb. But she really does understand. And this is funny. I mean, honestly, how many times have you laughed at something insane happening during this pandemic? I mean, Completely. it's just like, Completely. it's just like, you know, you find yourself like literally peeing on the side of the road, yeah. you know, behind a dumpster <laughs> at the Rose Bowl, which has truly happened in the past four months, which I did not find, you know, I did not expect to find myself in those circumstances. And, you know, you really just have to laugh when you're sitting there with your pants <laughs> around your ankles, you know, at the Rose Bowl, formerly populated, you know, in the middle of a plague. It's like, okay, I'll play world. <laughs> Is there anything you've read recently that has made you laugh like that, Lisa? Um, I read Sam Irby's book um, oh, a couple my weeks God. ago. But you know the one, everybody's like loves all the essays, but the one that got me that really just absolutely killed me was the one where she was talking about like, sex is great, but I mean, I'm actually going to grab the book and read you a couple of the sex is great sections. She is. She's amazing. She's amazing. She's amazing. Sure. Sex is fun. But have you ever eaten the leftovers before everyone else wakes up? Sure. Sex is fun. But have you ever deeply related to a nihilist meme? Sure, sex is fun, but have you ever done low-impact, high-intensity interval training along with a YouTube video when no one else could see you? Sure, (laughs) sex is fun, but have you ever been to Trader Joe's right after a restock? Sure, (laughs) sex is fun, but have you ever given a crying baby back to its parent? I mean, and she just goes on and on and on, and it's, like, sort of ridiculous. It's like, how long can this joke go? And the answer is forever, if you're her. So that yeah. one actually made me laugh and was yeah. like actually like a real moment of like I needed the belly laugh. And I think I actually need to like read more humor, watch yeah. more comedy yeah. because laughter really is the antidote, I think, to this. You know, knowledge also, like wear a mask, um, is the antidote. But also laughter keeps the soul whole. And it just like I hadn't laughed like that in a while. And she just truly is funny. She also just does not care what you think. Much like Sigrid, you know, she's like yeah. uninterested yeah. in what you think, you know, yeah. and it's just like, I love that she just says it all. Yeah. I have the sort of the opposite next book. Um, not funny, but I was actually um, 
It was a reread that I was inspired to do after I saw Gia Tolentino write this very small piece for The New Yorker about reading Wolf Hall in the pandemic. And so I'd read it before, but it is, you know, it's a dense book and I've definitely like enjoyed it a lot more on the second go. But one of the reasons why, and I guess this kind of goes taps into the severance vibe, but one of the reasons why I decided to reread it was that there are periods of time throughout Wolf Hall, first of a trilogy about Thomas Cromwell and Henry VIII and the Tudor era. And there is a plague on London every summer called the sweating sickness, which was a real thing that did actually happen in the mid to late 16th century. And lots of Londoners died from it. And it's very grim. But it was this sort of reminder that like, life has like always been shit and people are always coming up against this stuff and it comes in waves. And there was this section in the book where there's a character who's talking about how like, well, London can't shut down. You can't shut down an entire city. And I like looked out the window and I was like, you can. <laughs> um, and yeah, I was like surprised how much I enjoyed it. But, and it was also because it was, it is historical fiction and it was set off. So it felt so distant it still was an escape like I could still kind of just immerse myself in this world that was completely unlike my own um and get lost in it um and I was actually surprised by how much I enjoyed reading it I've been saving Um, the last two books because I'm just like I feel like there's a finite number of them and so I've been like you know just saving them for like a moment where I really have time to do she's so and she actually is funny she can yeah, land there are some funny lines she can in land there. So she can land a joke, for sure. I mean, it's like an unexpected place, but she's got like some... She seems like she'd be like really fun to have drinks with. There have been lines in that book where I've like chortled out loud and then been like, oh, I didn't expect this page to make me laugh. Despite that, I think you still need an intervention because you're reading Severance and Wolf Hall in the middle of this and <laughs> no, just wedding Severance, like, Severance, I mean, it's like Severance I read back in the fall and then when everything was happening in March, I was like, wait, I read this book. Why is it happening? <laughs> Lolly, oh. was the sweating sickness like a virus or it was just like it got so hot in London in the summer? It was a virus that only came in the summer okay. and you died within 24 hours. So it was very abrupt. Ooh. You Ooh. know what? I don't even need to know about that because that could come back. I don't want to know about that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't want to know about any variety of plague. People, some people writing these articles, there's 3,562 viruses that have been identified, but there's billions more and they're all waiting to find a human host and kill us all. I was like, miss me with it. I'm done. <laughs> I don't want to know about any of them. I would like to be surprised by any future pandemics and also have some good leadership that can help us navigate through all of it, like the countries that seem to be having a better time of it. That's all I want to know. But I don't want to know about any of the one billion plagues. Well, in Wolf Wolf Hall, when um, London is struck down by the sweating sickness, Henry VIII likes to go off hunting in the countryside. So there's a, you know, familiar parallel there. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) No, so I heard two of you finally might have read the novel that we all discussed like in the winter as the big novel of the summer, which is The Vanishing Half. Which mm-hmm. like very or, much came to fruition as the like biggest novel of the summer. I actually went on a rescue mission to the office to safely recover my copy of the book, which Jin had given me a galley of. And I think I read it in two days. I st- it was one yes. of those books where, again, kind of like everyone else, I've had a really short attention span and have been like picking up and... and 
dropping off of reading this whole time. And two nights in a row, I stayed up until like 2.30 in the morning reading the book and was like, ooh, I gotta, I gotta go to sleep. I gotta go work tomorrow. But it is so good. It is so good. And now I have to go read The Mothers because I haven't read that yet. So The Vanishing Half is the second novel by this young writer, Britt Bennett. Uh, her first novel was The Mothers. It was a big times bestseller and everyone loved it. Uh, but The Vanishing Half has turned into this number one blockbuster bestseller. And I just want to say props to Brit. She is the first black woman to be a number one fiction hardcover seller in at least a decade. We're waiting for like the final data on how long it's been, but we're so, so thrilled for her. And the basic premise is that there's these two light-skinned twin sisters who are such tight friends when they're young. And through a series of circumstances that we won't reveal, one ends up deciding to run away and lead a life passing as a white woman, and the other stays in the small town, rural South, where they grew up and doesn't know what happened to her sister or why her sister ran away and left. And it goes and goes and goes from there. I just think that she does that, that choral voice that she uses. I mean, she's mm -hmm. actually like just a, the thing about Brit is like, right, she's telling like a good rip and yarn, right? But she's also just like a really stunning technical writer, right? So it's like, she's got all the craft stuff at the same time as the story stuff, which it happens, obviously, but doesn't happen that often. And it's just like such a pleasure to read her. Um, I've only just begun um, the new one. And I like sort of just like want to really get myself into a place where I can sit with it. I also like historically love passing narratives um, because they're just terrible. Like it's just like, you know, just all the old movies and all the old books. And, you know, it's just sort of like and then there I think it's in the 12 tribes of Hattie. There's this incredible story by Ayanna Mathis. There's an incredible passing narrative about a couple that moves up north. And um, one is a jazz player, but is kind of passing and his wife confronts him in this like jazz club bathroom to like great tragedy. It just like it's just uh, the sadness of us, I think, is often wrapped up in, you know, those of us who are compelled to try not to be us. And mm -hmm. I just think it's such an mm -hmm. interesting story because it really gets down to a lot of the different external and internal discrimination, self-worth you know, issues that come up you know, in a black life, you know, or in a black family or in a black community or in a black town or in a black, you know, city, whatever it is. And I just think it's, I'm really excited to finish up because she's just such a stunning writer. So I've been kind of saving that one, just like the Wolf Hall, which is like, I know I'm going to love this book. And what I've read of it already, I'm obsessed with, but it's like, I'm almost not ready to like be done with not knowing how much I'm going to love it. Every book piece of fiction I read I always want it to be the one that I stay up till 2 a.m in the morning reading because I cannot put it down and I am so utterly absorbed in it but it's actually really really rare to have that experience with a book it's that feeling you have when you're a kid reading and then I feel like I'm constantly trying to recreate it as an adult and Vanishing Half has done that for me like I when you're not reading it you're thinking about it and it it feels alive on the page and you just oh god you can't stop turning the pages it's it's like it's like the best 
Do you remember that scene from The NeverEnding Story where the, the little boy who's kind of telling the story, he's sitting with his little tent in that room and he has the apple and the half the sandwich. He's like, I'm only going to eat a little bit because there's so much more to read. Like, I always think of him as like my ideal moment, like, like the feeling that I have when it is an ideal reading experience where you're just like, I've got to figure out a way to just push through because this is the <laughs> best ever and I'm never going to stop. And you're like, okay, I'll just read 10 more pages. And then you read the next 10 pages and you're like, well, I'll just read another 10. Or like, I'll just read until it gets to midnight. And then it's... It's also the first book that I've read in a long time where it ended. And I was like, oh, I have to start over again. Because Mm -hmm. like these characters are so layered. And like, there's no way that I got everything Mm -hmm. out of this on the first read. I have to start again. So I'm reading one book and then I actually think I'm going to reread it. A friend of mine also said that that she she was she she finished it and she was like I haven't had an ending like that in a long time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now I'm very excited. <laughs> Meredith, I also feel like you want to start it again because you want to go now once you know everything that's going to right. end up happening, you want to almost go back and see those young girls through new eyes and be like, "Whoa, this is yeah. all of what's coming" and re-experience it than with the knowledge somehow. Yeah. It, it's like Fates and Furies. Like you had to read that one twice. Yeah, yeah, totally. Totally like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, this makes me so happy. I'm, I'm just so happy at how much everyone is loving this novel. And for anyone that has a copy of The Vanishing Half at home, turn to the acknowledgement section and you will see Jin's name there. <laughs> Very oh. exciting. Are there any books that you haven't read yet that you are really excited to pick up? I have one that... I- I'm excited to read. Um, and I haven't read yet, but I loved Man vs. Nature so much, which is a short story collection that probably came out in 2013, 2014, by Diane Cook, um, who is also a booker, a longlister. I think she is a stunning, brilliant genius. And um, I'm just really excited to read the new one, The New Wilderness, um, which I haven't started. I'm just, like, excited for her brain. Like, I, you know, you know, the writers that you just wait for forever and ever. She just wrote the one book. I fell in love with her because she had a short story in Guernica, where I was working at the time. And then the collection came out and it was even better than the one story. And then everyone's been obsessed with this new novel. And it's like the thing I cannot wait to get to. Jen, is there anything that you're super excited to read that's either coming out soon or that you yeah. just have on your on your own nightstand of shame? Coming, I know, I know my nightstand of shame. Um, coming soon this fall, actually, I thought of it because of some things Lisa mentioned, is a new story collection by this writer, Daniel Evans. She has not had a story collection in 10 years. Um, her first one was called Before You Suffocate Your Own Fool Self, which best tells you ever. everything. I mean, literally the best title ever. Um, and the new collection is called The Office of Historical Corrections, but it's stories again. But once again, funny, which we all have agreed together is a huge priority during pandemic. So funny. And then also several stories, one in particular coming to mind that are about passing and passing in America and race in America. And she's just, she's great. She's funny, sharp, political, but in a smart way and not a, not a, you know, not a preachy way. I should add that I'm very excited to read lots of books and I'm desperate to read that book literally desperate to read that book she is extraordinary amazing well you'll find links to purchase all of those books on bookshop.org that we mentioned in the show notes and then 
you know, obviously you are heavily encouraged to order and pick up from your local indie bookstore. If people want to follow all the exciting things that you, Lisa, have coming up because you have so many exciting things coming up, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, probably on Twitter, Lika Luca, L-I-K-A-L-U-C-A. And Jen? Also on the Twitter, it's Jin with four N's, so J-Y-N-N-N-N-E. I'm at Oh Hey There Mayor. I'm at Lale Hanna. Be sure to check out Women Who Travel on Instagram and subscribe to our newsletter. Again, links to all the books that we've mentioned will be in the show notes. Be sure to check them out. We'll talk to you next week. And if you are watching this video, either I'm dead or I'm in a very, very, very bad situation. She said, oh my God, I can hear gunshots. I can hear men outside. Where are they? What have they done to them? Are they dead? Are they not dead? There is one suspect, her father, the Sheikh. It's Madeline Barron from In the Dark. We've teamed up with our new colleague, Heidi Blake, at The New Yorker to try to answer a question about one of the richest men in the world, the ruler of Dubai. Why do the women in Sheikh Mohammed's family keep trying to run away? There is five policemen outside and two policewomen inside the house. So basically I'm a hostage. And he reminded me that Sheikh Mohammed can get me anywhere. Because you're a rich and powerful person, you can effectively break any law you want in our country and get away with it. The Runaway Princesses is available now. Follow In the Dark wherever you get your podcasts.